0: I'm just going to shift myself a little bit closer to you guys so I don't feel like I'm out in the wilderness like these Israelites. I do like the lights though, so I'll hang on to the power for now. And if you, d- if this is your car, and you it is yours? Because oh, we're going to walk around the car park seeing which one we could steal to see mm-hmm. when you press the button and see the lights. There you go. Well, good morning. You've heard that a few times this morning. Um am Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here and I'm not going anywhere for a little while, I think, unless the Lord speaks. So you're stuck with me for a bit. We've um, been speaking for these last couple of weeks about a new year and, and um, what happens in a new year. And, and as Philippa was praying, some of those things became even more apparent when you... Um, I think about kids going into a new class or going from school to university and or perhaps you're going to a whole new school or, or a new job. And and as I've said this uh, these last couple of weeks, you might be looking at a new house this year or um, a new place to live or a new context or a new um, set of friends or social circles or someone's going to be added to your family and family's going to change. And all those things happen when you stand at the start of a new year, you look ahead and think, you're excited on one hand, on the other hand, you think of all the changes and transitions. And so, we've been talking for the last couple of weeks about what's important as we head into a new year. For almost every one of us, new years are, t- are times of change and transition. For churches, uh, new years are the same. New years always start with changes, always start with transitions, people moving into new people moving into ministries, or people shifting to other ministries, or new people programs happening. And for us at One Hope, we definitely have some changes and transitions happening in the next year. And we've already had some. We looked at the last two weeks, we looked at Joshua as he led the Israelites into, the, into a new land. He took over from Moses after the people had been in the desert for 40 years. And here's Joshua and he's got to, he's got to take them in to begin to conquer the new land. And we had a look at that. At, at how he was commanded to bring them into a great transition and probably lots and lots and lots of changes. And f- we saw two things. The first thing Joshua stressed, that they must always look for and follow the presence of the Lord. Do you remember, if you were here, the ark, the ark represents the presence of God. And he said, we're going to go into the promised land. We're going to go across this raging river um, and we're going to start this conquest. It's going to happen. And get your stuff, we're going to go. But he said before that, and, and all the other details that they might have had to communicate, um, before that he said, just keep your eye on the ark. Keep your eye on the presence of God. When you see it move, you move. Because then you'll know where to go. And because this, we're going to, you're going to go to places that you've never been before. That would be how they would know where to go and what to do safely and in line with God's plan. Then last week we looked at obedience, that word that we all love right from a child on. See, it's one thing to, to hear stuff or to read things and, or even to know things and know stuff and be really knowledgeable. But to actually be obedient is when the action starts, isn't it? It's one thing even to, to know that God is speaking you know, and, some of, and, and probably all of us have had in our life where we've really known that, that God's speaking to me and I'm sitting in a, a church service or I'm sitting in a conference or I'm sitting somewhere in my, and, and something's happening and my heart is beating and I know that God's speaking to me. I know that this is for me. It's one thing to know that and to recognize it's even right, but it's another to obey, isn't it? That's the next thing. We talked about that last week. And it's always a bit harder, especially when we don't see Always see where that's leading. Or we can't always see where our obedience will end up, or if it even makes any sense to us. And we heard last week that we needed to trust. Trust God, trust those that He's placed uh, above us. And we needed to be persistent. And we had that, um, I said, you know, obedience is our responsibility. Outcome is God's. We're always obsessed with the outcome, thinking like we have to control it. We ended last week looking at that myriad of Old Testament. I only did it right at the end, and so you might not have picked it up because you might have been weary by the end of the service, but we looked at those, that list of people in, the, in, in Hebrews, Old Testament heroes of faithful people that were obedient. And even when they didn't see why, even though a lot of them died before they ever saw any results from their obedience, and they were and they are our inspiration, they're our confidence and our courage, as we enter God's presence and His plans and His work. So we looked at the presence of God and obedience. Today is my last in a row of three. You'll get to change your face up here next week. Some of you might be thankful for that. I might be too, by the way. But no, seriously, this is the last in a row of three. And I, I want to touch on one more important thing that I think is really an essential thing as you head into any new year or any change or any, tr- any transition one more important thing for a follower of christ or a church as we embark on the new year and that's the word and you already heard that through scott um, when he talked about it we're going to talk about the word this morning the word of god is essential for us as we go into and into and through a new year this might sound really basic and log- logical and and we talk about this all the time that we do you know a couple of years ago we did a reading plan who was around when we did that reading plan with the church you know we had to go through the Bible and we talk about the word often and it might seem really basic and logic but then a reminder of how important and how central it is how influential and how powerful it is it's a good thing and for me definitely it's a good thing and I think it's good for us all it's good for us to be reminded and this is why this is what's going around it's been going around in my head I find it hard to put into words and I was typing and I'm trying to think how do I get the, what I'm thinking in my head or what I think I'm seeing, how do I get that on paper? So it's hard to put in the word. But in the last years, there's a sense that the word, as we've been given it, isn't always given the number one spot. I'm not suggesting right here, I'm, I'm looking at my own life and in our own lives and the things that are that are happening around us. There's this sense that the word no longer has that ultimate number one spot. It seems to have become less important or maybe more open to interpretation, perhaps through experience. So we're using our experiences to interpret how the word or what the word says. Or perhaps even it's just the word is kind of an addition to a spiritual experience or an addition to a a religious program. It's certainly not always considered cool, language aside. It's not always considered cool. It's not always considered culturally appropriate. Anyone tried to quote scripture in the last year on Facebook and see what happens? It's not always culturally appropriate. It comes across as uncompromising and we, or we feel like we need to make excuses for it or we feel like we need to nuance it just a little bit or kind of help people understand it. We like to think it's, we're doing that. So that's kind of how me putting into words some of the things that I see happening. In our not just in our church, but in our lives and the lives of Christians. Churches and faith movements even reinterpret or redefine scriptures to make them work better. Or to make them a little more palatable, make them easier to understand. I was talking to Sabrina the other night, and if you ever get a chance, and I'm not going to go through it now, but there's this you know, look up the Wesleyan quadrilateral. It's a long word, come and see me afterwards. And it's John Wesley's approach at how we should, where Scripture should find its way in terms of culture, um, habits, experience and how Scripture should be number one in experience. Interesting way to look at how the Word should be number one and should be central. But maybe even more basically, we've almost kind of forgotten the Word as the most important daily guide or as a leader for our lives not just the religious parts. Let me say that again because this is important. This was important for me as I realized it's true for me. We've kind of almost forgotten the word as the leader or the influencing factor, the important thing for leading our lives, not just the religious bits, all of our lives. We know already that it doesn't govern our country anymore and doesn't govern our world as it should and, and that society has forgotten God's word. But at times, if I'm honest, it can be the same for me. It can be the same for us as well. And I feel convicted by that. Go figure, my line of work. You know, Think about that. You can read it all day long, but you may not be actually giving it its place. You may not be actually allowing it to be what it should be. And I thought there were a good couple of lessons in the text for us from young King Josiah today. Josiah becomes king at eight. That's a tough gig. Can you imagine being a king at eight? You know, what would you like, my king? Chocolate. You know, Coke, whatever. Yeah. The, then at twenty six, and and the, the you know jo, um, Kings tw- uh, two Kings twenty two takes us quickly, and uh, he's quickly twenty six, eighteen years into his reign. So he's twenty six years old. He seems to be getting up to speed a little bit. He seems to be getting his wits about him, and he's decided that the temple needs work. He's he's noticed that it needs restoration. It's not being used. The workers aren't being paid. It's, it's in rack and ruin. It's half finished in bits and, people, uh, bits and pieces. You know, Decades ago, they were commanded by the Lord to, to rebuild and to, to keep the temple good, but it hasn't been happening, and work had stopped a long time. There'd been a bad king before King Josiah. He wasn't one that followed the Lord. Things had gone backwards. People had neglected it. So he figures, I'm going to get this sorted. He knows God. It's interesting. And and you wonder how this happens, how God preserves his character through the reign of the kings, if you ever wanted to read that. In verse 2, it says that he did good in the eyes of the Lord and he followed his father, David. Well, David wasn't really his father. It was his great-great-great-great-grandfather. But anyway, he followed in the footsteps of his father, David. The king before him led the people away and, and that wasn't good. So at 26, Josiah is working on recovering what he knows. He's working on recovering uh, something that he's heard verbally, that he's understood about the temple, and, and this God who needs to be revered and honored and followed and obeyed. And he starts on it. In their work at the temple, the high priest seems to stumble on the book of the law. This is the high priest. You know, think of the, you know, the high priest accidentally finds the word. Does anyone does that seem funny to you? I'm thinking, you know, our pastor actually tripped over a Bible the other day, you know, and found one. There's good stuff in there, you know. So we, it's ironic, you know, you see this, he, he, um, he stumbles on the book of the law and Shapheth, he, he says to Shapheth, the Josiah secretary, look what I found. Shapheth has a read of it and thinks, this could be important you know there could be something in this so he heads back to the king and he says guess what we found this and he reads him a little bit of it and it impacts josiah greatly doesn't it immediately he all of a sudden makes that connection between the stories the god he knows the things he's been seeing around him and this word this book of the law the word of god if we read on, we'd see that he discovers that God is really angry. That they've forgotten his word. And through a prophet that they go and see, if you read the, ex, the last bit of 22 before 23, you'll see they, they, they go to the, the prophet, a lady named Huldah, and that's all confirmed. She confirms that God is angry with the nation and that God is going to do some things that are really not going to be nice for the nation. But the word is that Josiah has the promise that he will not see the disaster that God is going to bring upon the people. But this isn't good enough for Joshua. He's not content Josiah. He's not content content with that. So he decides that the covenant he decides that the covenant with their God and the decision to follow their God must be renewed. They need to keep his laws. They need to look at that book. They need to live by the book and they need to change their ways, live his way with all their heart. And the people pledged the same. Yeah, we're going to do that. They said, "We we're going to do that. We'll do that too." Now if we were to read on, if you were to read on a little bit more into, into Kings, we'd see that not only was Josiah's life changed, but it resulted in a revival that changed an entire nation. Josiah's reign and his rediscovery of the book of the law, the book of the covenant, resulted in a revival in the whole nation of Judah. The word of the covenant changed the world as they knew it then. And the world as I knew it then wasn't free of struggles and things going wrong like our world, and yet that's what it did. Here's four quick things that I see, four quick little things that I see in this scripture that I think would be really uh, good, good for me to learn, and would be good for us to learn. You see, Josiah rediscovered the word; he recommitted to the word; he restructured his life and the life of Judah around it, and he allowed it to bring revival. So he rediscovered the Word, he recommitted to it, he restructured his life and the life of Judah, and he allowed it to bring revival. And so for us, as we're, as we're heading into a new year, we need to rediscover the Word. We need to recommit to allowing it to govern and influence our lives. Allow it to restructure our lives. That's the one that I have the most trouble with. It's easy for me to read the Word and, and you know give it its places, but allow it to restructure my life. And we need to allow it to restructure our lives and communities where it needs to. And we need to pray for revival that only it can bring. And notice in those re's that I didn't have redefine or reinterpret. Just put that in the margins. It was none of that. So rediscover. You know, for us, Here's rediscover. So if we're going to rediscover the word, make a plan to read the word every day. Start with that. You know, discovery like that. And ask the Holy Spirit you know, the batteries, ask the Holy Spirit to help you rediscover the treasures that the Word has, that God has for us every day. God is always speaking. And the the question is, are we always listening? Are are you hearing? God is always speaking. Learn to see the Bible with discovery eyes. You know, when I use the word rediscover, read it with discovery eyes. Don't read it with kind of like, I've got to get through this. That's how I do it sometimes. I don't know what you're like. Read it with discovery eyes. Ask the Holy Spirit, show me stuff, show me connections, show me stories, show me things that that make no sense, that make me ask questions. Read it with discovery eyes, new eyes, fresh eyes. Pray for revelation. See it as a relevant, relevant guide for your day, regardless of your generation, regardless of your culture or your vocation or of your inclination. I say that seriously. We use the word to, we we reinterpret or we, regardless of whatever your inclination or your generation is, see it as a relevant guide for you. Rediscover what it has to say to us as a church as well. Rediscover what it has to say to us as faith communities. And begin to see our communities through the word. So that's rediscover, recommit. We need to recommit to obeying God's commands. We talked about that last week. To being a person of the book, allowing it to govern and influence our lives and to regularly dipping into it. You've got to make a commitment to do that. It doesn't just happen. You don't just listen to a sermon or you don't just start a new year or or bang out one of these New Year's resolutions. You've actually got to commit to it. We need to recommit to regularly getting into the Word. Recommit to living out the challenges and the commands. Remember what I said about obedience? There's one thing to know it. One, the next thing is to do it. And recommit to living out, and here's where the struggle sometimes is, we need to recommit to living out the truth of the word, whether we see that truth echoed in society or not. That's sometimes that's, that's the hard bit, isn't it? Or whether we see the opposite echoed in society. We pledge to uphold God's values and standards wherever you are and whatever that looks like. And I just said that sentence, and that sounds really easy, but that is hard. That we pledge to uphold God's, the values of the Word, God's values and standards, wherever you are and whatever that looks like. That's tough. That's hard. Restructure. Restructure our life decisions, our dreams and values around the truth of the Word. If you look at your life and you feel like, hey, that's not quite in line with the Word and quite in line with what God would say, then you need to restructure. We need to restructure. We need to restructure our gatherings or our programs or our must-haves, our ministries around the Word and its call. Maybe it'll take for you restructuring your day to give the Word some more room and influence in your life. Maybe it just means restructuring your day a little bit. And if the Word was really important, you'd take less time for breakfast or less time reading a paper or less time on the Internet. Or you cut your Internet time in half and you decide to spend that in the Word. Or and restructuring is, is, is work, isn't it? You've got to do it. And, that's, you know, and we saw Josiah, he did that. And then we allow, bring, allow, it to bring, or allow the Word to bring revival to your life. Use it to bring revival to our community, our nation and our world. Reading the Word and allowing it to influence us, that brings a fresh perspective. That brings hope. Helps us to see God in our lives and in our world. So they're the four reads that I see in in Josiah's story. Rediscover, recommit, restructure brings revival. So if you want to write them down somewhere and and think about that and think about how that applies to you in the Word, I think that would be really helpful. It was clearly helpful for Josiah and for the nation of Judah. But the word also powerful, isn't it? And we heard that and um, the scripture that, that, um, that Scott read out is really important in Hebrews 4 verse 12. I'll read it again. For the word of God is alive and it's active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. This verse in Hebrews is a part of a whole discussion where the, the writer to the Hebrews in chapter 3 and 4 is talking about, and this is really interesting for us because it'll take us back to the last two weeks. We talked about jo, Joshua. I'm getting my Joshuas and Josiahs mixed up here. It, he's, the writer to the Hebrews is just talking a little bit about entering their rest. God's people entering their rest that was the terminology for God's people entering the promised land. After 40 years in the desert, they were promised the opportunity to enter into their rest after the conquests, of course. And the writer to the Hebrews is talking about that in chapter 3 and chapter 4. He talks about God's people entering their rest after their wandering. And he's talking about what's important in there. He's placing the word in context. In chapter 3, he talks about obedience. Listening to God's voice, not having hard hearts. You see some of the echoes of what we've been talking about. In chapter 4, he starts off right at the start of chapter 4, where our verse is, where verse 12 is, he says, Therefore, since the promise of entering, his rest still stands. So what he's saying, let me help you here. What he's saying to the to the what the writer of the Hebrews is saying to the to those that are listening, those that are reading. Is that big promise that God made when they went through the, through the desert, when they went into their promised land, entering into their rest, that, that there would be a promised land for them. That promise still stands for you today. And that's what he's saying to them. And that promise still stands for us. And that's, then he goes on to say, here's the important things. The Word, in verse 12, the Word of God is alive and active. Don't let that go. And it's important for us. The promise of entering His rest is true for us as well, isn't it? The Word is alive and active. It is relevant to us and for us and for our world. You know, there are many people in Christian circles and outside Christian circles that will tell you that the Word doesn't meet, is not relevant anymore for what's happening in our world. It is. Hebrews says that it is. The Word is absolutely relevant. It's alive and it's powerful. It's sharp and it can and does speak into our age. It's not old-fashioned and dull. It can and will and does speak into our age. It can penetrate the hardest of hearts and it can bring people to the Lord. I'll never forget a story, a guy um that when our Iwam days, a guy who was a, an evangelist and he was a what you know we might call a hyper Christian. He would take any opportunity to try to tell you about Jesus. And he had come from a long way. He would come from a long way down. He was not a Christian. He was not looking for God at all. He was in Amsterdam. Um, Amsterdam was kind of like the, you know, if you're on the, the, the poppy trail to Afghanistan, Amsterdam was the place that you, you know, where, you'd, where all the hippies would come through and the drug trade would begin. Um, and he will tell you the story that he was not looking for God. He was just doing everything that the Word says you shouldn't be doing. And if you've ever been to Amsterdam, has anyone ever been to Amsterdam? They've been to Central Station. Central Station in Amsterdam is just huge. And just it's there's, there's just a out the front, there's this kind of like this, this, I don't know, it's not a platform, it's just a concrete area, well, a bricked area anyway. And there's people coming and going by the thousands all the time. He was there at Central Station and there was a guy there, a YWAMer there, who was just preaching the Word, reading the Word of God. Now, let's be honest, how many of you have ever seen someone doing that in the street and kind of inside laughed at him? Go on, be honest. In Uganda, they do it all the time. They stand in the middle of the road and they yell. There was a guy reading the Word of God and preaching the Word of God in a loud voice. And as he walked by, something happened. He was totally convicted. The Word of God is powerful. It's alive and it can change the hardest of hearts. You know, I'm not advocating that's always the best method. I don't know. The word, it's, it's supernatural, isn't it? The Word of God has power. Never forget that. When we think it's too weak for the the world that we live in nowadays, it isn't. It absolutely isn't. The Word has the power to change hearts and change lives. And the Word is the number one way that God does this. Think about that. As I said earlier, we sometimes see other things as more exciting, having greater impact, maybe working better. Churches might major on other things. Church leaders, a bit like maybe the high priest, have kind of forgotten the Word and uh, and they're focused on other things, and miracles, healings, pictures, prophecies. And all that stuff is actually good. And all that stuff is of God. But it's subject to the word of God, isn't it? Those things alone will never save someone. A miracle, you know, a healing, a prophecy, a word of knowledge. Fantastic. I love that stuff. When we begin to rely on those things to save somebody, the Word of God is what saves people in Luke, Jesus tells a parable about a rich man and a guy called Lazarus and some of you might know that story you know the story of a you know the 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 the, the um, Lazarus is the poor guy, and he's sitting at the gate of of this rich man's mansion, and he will get the scraps that the dogs don't eat in in life. And you know they both die, and they you know and, and of course the the poor guy he ends up being with with God in, in in Jesus' parable. It's Abraham, and the rich guy who was wicked, and and he's in you know. Hell burning, all that sort of stuff. And of course he looks across and he sees and he says, Oh, it's really hot here. Can you can you give me some water? Can you give me something? Help me out here. And you know, the story goes with the end of the chasm's too far. We can't get across there and um, you know, we, we can't help you out. And then the rich guy says, Well, look, I'm stuck here, but I got family. Can somebody can 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 you just tell them, you know, or or let them know so they don't make the same mistakes that I make? And Abraham and Um, and it goes on like this, and I'll just quote the last bit. Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them. So now he wants the guy that he, he, he... Let him warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They have the word. Let them listen no father Abraham he said but if someone came from the dead got up from the dead and goes to them then they'll repent Abraham said if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets if they don't listen to the word they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead the power of the word even Jesus himself knew that the word was the most powerful thing the word is what saves we can And we should be looking to God for gifts, for miracles and all that sort of stuff. And that's great. But those things pale to insignificance if we don't operate them in the context and in a solid understanding of the Word of God. If we don't live uncompromisingly in line with the Word. Finally, John 1 tells us who the Word ultimately is, doesn't it? And, you read in, and if you've ever been perplexed or betwixt by the first uh, verses of John chapter 1, you're probably in good company. Everyone tries to f- figure out what's going on there. The Word always existed and was with God in the beginning. The term logos, the Greek word that, that, that John is using there, was a common word in the Greek and it referred to reason or thought or creative force. And John used that to grab the attention of the listeners But then he took it further and he presents Jesus as the perfect revelation of God to us. A perfect revelation of who the Father is and what the Father says. His Word. You see, we have that Word, capital W, capital O-R-D, that truth and that revelation of God living in us. Because Jesus didn't just come and live in the world, did he? He came to live in us. And here's the exciting thing. If you're wondering how's this going to be with the recommit, restructure and recommit and all that sort of stuff, there's a supernatural connection that occurs when we engage with the word we're reading at the same time as the word that's living in us. That's the thing. That's what you pray for. There's this supernatural thing that happens when you're reading the Word that's written on paper, the Word, and you pray for a connection with the Word living in you, Jesus Christ. That's what brings change. That's why having the Word in our everyday as our guide and as our authority, helping us to live out kingdom values is so important. You see, your daily quiet time or reading the Word isn't just you doing it. Our reading and teaching of the Word here in church isn't just us doing it. When we do it prayerfully, it's engaging with the Word that lives in us. That was with God, with the Father from the very beginning. And it gives supernatural power to the human efforts that we make. You see, the Word of God... And I did a quick search on the internet, because you can do that, you know. And I I thought, I'm not going to read all this out. But the Word of God in history has changed more hearts, more lives, more societies, more nations than any other book, any other theory, or any other trend in history. Let me say that again, because this (laughs) is what you have in your hands and living in your heart. The Word of God has changed more hearts, more lives, more societies, more nations than any other book, any other theory, any other trend. In all of history. And we have it on our shelf. We have it on our phones. We have it on our computers. Many of us have memorized parts of it in our heads. And you have that with you every single day. And you have it living in you. Let it change your life. Let it change our life. Not a bad idea, is it? So, three things as we head into the new year, just so I can recap. Presence of God. Let's look for and go with the presence of God. Let's pray for it. Remember what just, just Joshua was that one? Remember what he said? Then you will know where to go because you've never been this way before. Think about that. The presence of God. And obedience. Do what he calls us to do. Going to change and, trans- and transition, obeying him. Our job is obedience. God's job is outcome. Remember that. And then the Word, make it central, rediscover it, obey it, live it out, look for presence, the presence of God in it, look for His power and revival in and through it. Make it the driving force in our lives and our communities. As we embark on a new year, with change and transition ahead and around us, we can be convinced, just like the Israelites, that we have the God of the universe the one who made nations tremble in fear. Remember just Joshua chapter 2, where Rahab the prostitute says, we are scared, we've heard about your God, everyone's trembling. We have the God of the universe, the one who made nations tremble in fear on our side, giving purpose to our lives, your life, wherever you are, here in Scoresby, wherever you are, giving purpose to our communities. And that same God is calling us to partner with him in something way, way bigger than ourselves. (laughs) That's another sermon. We've got to get over ourselves. God is calling us to something way, way bigger than ourselves and our own agendas. And that is His kingdom coming here on earth, first in us and then through us. That's a promised land, isn't it? Let me pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for free, fast, able access to your word. Thank you, Lord, that, that the power of your word is also there for us. Lord, thank you that your, your, um, your desire is to draw us in to your word with you and for it to bring hope new life, for, for it to bring answers, to bring, to bring challenges, to bring courage, to bring conviction to us, to, to bring your kingdom here on earth through us. We thank you that we have it. We recognize, Lord, that in many nations they don't. We have um, it in abundance. And Lord, we confess so often that we forget it, we leave it behind, we, we reinterpret it, we're embarrassed by it, we, we try to change it, we try to make you uh, seem a little bit more friendly and easy to get along with in our mind. Lord, we confess that and we pray, Lord, that you would draw us back to what your Word says, living uncompromisingly in line with it, recognizing that it is the power to save, it is the power to eternal life. It is what brings us to the promised land. We thank you that's true for us as individuals. And Lord, as we pray for one hope in this coming season, we pray that your word would find its place to be the center of, and the driving force for the things that we do. We pray, Lord, that your presence would be palpable, recognizable, that our courage would grow to follow it and our obedience would follow because of that. And Lord, we pray that this wouldn't be that we would look good, but that it would be for your glory. That your kingdom come here on earth as it already is in heaven. Amen.